Hello, everyone. Talk of the Town is up and running in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, USA. I'm Scott Montesano, and this is where the Chippewa Valley comes to talk. Hey, don't forget to follow and subscribe to Eau Claire Hometown Media on Spotify and the iHeart app, as well as anywhere else you get your podcast. Not only this podcast, but all of the wonderful podcasts that we have. But I know this one is your favorite as you get your your dose of the Audible Chocolate. Hello to those who are watching on Facebook. Remember, we are usually live on Facebook Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 o'clock. And, of course, they'll listen live, but in two, at uh, echometownradio.com. But I know lots of you also pull us up on the podcast at your own convenience. And no matter what time of the day you are tuned in, thank you very much. Lots to get to today. We're talking robots, we're talking pools, and we're talking uh, what should happen to a very prominent Menominee figure who uh, is in a little bit of uh, hot water. All of that uh, to get to and maybe some other topics before the end of the day. Uh, Had some time downtown in Eau Claire today. We're going to spend a lot of time focusing on Chippewa and Menominee today, but was downtown Eau Claire today and had a chance to walk by the new Reboot Social. That is the establishment going inside of the former Eau Claire Children's Museum and uh, peered inside and, and flurry of activity as they are looking to open sometime next week. Uh, no doubt they'll open quietly a day before, I'm sure, They'll, they'll kind of have a soft opening, whatever. But uh, that has a potential to be the destination, the regular destination driver that I think downtown has lacked. We talk about all these great things downtown has had. The Pablo Center, a couple of great ice cream shops, a number of niche stores. You've got some nice coffee shops down there, but you still have lacked some things. There's nothing wrong with that. You still lack some things, and you still will lack some things after this. I think a little convenience store in the footprint of what actually is downtown is still needed. But what this reboot social can be, if it's done well, is it can be that sort of thing that is the driver of people say, hey, I've got to go downtown to this spot that I cannot get anywhere else. And it's going to be this barcade concept that has been very successful in other parts of the country in which you're going to have you know, pinball and arcade games and all of that, and you're going to be able to eat and drink, and it's going to be a chameleon type of place where families can go during the day and then it sort of morphs into more of an adult establishment at night. I think that's perfect. On paper, it looks like it's going to be perfect. Now, we'll see what the execution is, but just peering inside, it looks like they have done things well on the inside. We'll find out when they open up, and not only when they open up, but give it six months and see what adjustments they make on the fly, but very excited over Reboot Social and what potential that has. Because it is something unique. It's, it's no different than what Ramon's Ice Cream offers downtown. It offers that old-timey ice cream uh, experience, ice cream shop experience that you experience when you go to a tourist town. 
The ice cream comes out of Madison. It's, it's very good ice cream, the chocolate shop ice cream. But you can buy that sort of thing at the stores. The reason you go to Ramon's is the atmosphere, the, the, the waffle cones, the, the brick interior, all of that. And Reboot Social is going to provide that sort of, not that exact thing, but you got to go downtown to experience that. So I wish them the best of luck in walking down and also saw some activity. A lot of people walking in and out of uh, the, the plus. Remember, that was in the news in the spring. Uh, They're supposed to open up the plus uh, here in early September. Let's not forget that. Per that agreement with the city to keep the liquor license. That whole argument from the spring. We'll see if they do open up uh, in the next uh, week or so. Uh, I do know that they have had a call out for hiring and took a look into the windows there, and it looks like they got a long way to go to be ready, but uh, there has been activity inside of the Plus the last several months. Uh, Speaking of activity, so back in the spring as well, there was all this talk of what to do with the public pool in Chippewa, the Bernard Willis Pool, named after the mayor who helped bring, successfully bring a public pool to Chippewa Falls back in the early 1990s. Well, the pool, of course, there was a lot of talk of closing it down this year, and the community rallied and said, we don't want to shut it down. And one of those things that, from a city councilor perspective, it's hard to justify dollars and cents-wise, because it is a, a money vacuum but quality of life and all that. Well, we now know at the end of this season, which was a shorter season, they ran at a $70,000 deficit. Is that a lot? Is that too much? Is that too much for a quality of life? That's that's up for people to decide. But the story is, ran at a $70,000 deficit this year, mostly due to staffing, paying for staffing. And they're looking at ways to cut costs next year make some improvements to the pool and all that sort of thing. See if maybe some new equipment can help keep some costs down. Attendance, how many people use the pool, was at 8,000 people this year. Now to put that in perspective, as recently as 2017, it was 11,000. 8,000 this year, it was 11,000 in 2017. Uh, The 8,000 this year is up a couple thousand from last season, and there wasn't a season in 2020. Is that attendance good? Is that attendance bad? Just like I said with the 70,000, I think it depends on what bias you're bringing into the debate. If you are somebody that leans towards the pool should not be a city expense and maybe utilize that for something else, you're going to say only 8,000 and wow, $70,000 in deficit. If you're somebody that angles more towards the, it's quality of life, you're going to say 8,000. Hey, that's not bad. 8,000 people utilizing that pool in a short window. It's worth it. Uh, The water slide has not been open for the last couple of years. So it's just a pool. It's a big bath with friends. Uh, There is no water slide at the Bernard Willis pool. The slide is busted. They got to fix it. They haven't fixed it in a couple of years. Does that impact the attendance? Perhaps. 
One thing we do know, we talked about the attendance, the community rallied. A lot of people pounded their fist on the table in the spring about, hey, we got to keep the pool open. Got to keep the pool open. But you didn't see a huge turnout this year. That is something, whether 8,000 is good or bad, one thing you did not see was a huge turnout this year. Is the slide a factor? We'll have to see. But again, was it good attendance or bad attendance? I think that's something people will have to decide. We do know this. The new public, uh, the new parks director in Chippewa, John Jimenez, is on the record as wanting something other than a pool. This whole debate got started because he made the public statements last spring of, hey, let's close the pool down. It's instead use that plot of land to put an indoor facility together for basketball, which dollars and cents wise makes makes sense. And you can do tournaments and all these sort of things. But he came right out and said, hey, you know, pool, hey, the pool loses all this money. And hey, I got a better idea. So he's on the record as wanting something other than a pool. So he'll take the side that the attendance is bad. You couple that with the deficit, and he does have wind at his sails on that. The future of the pool is still very much in doubt. I think it's more in doubt now than it was in the spring. In the spring, let's remember... Dollars and cents wise, it doesn't make sense to keep the pool open. But city councilors, as people in the community spoke, said, you know what? It doesn't make sense dollars and cents wise, but if the public wants it open, we're stewards of the public, obviously, we'll keep it open. But if you see it runs at a deficit, if you see the attendance is not that great comparative to something, you might see more people who were maybe quiet in the spring, speak up about wanting to close the pool down. We'll have to see. A community group is meeting next month to decide long-term solutions. In the end, you're going to ultimately, if the pool is going to stay, you're going to need to see renovations of the pool. There's also been the talk of rebuilding the pool. That would be a lot of money, but rebuilding the pool, having an indoor uh, indoor component to the pool, build a big aquatic center, Hey, let's lean right into, hey, let's, let's do something different, but let's make it another pool. You're going to see a few options on the table, but ultimately, you're going to see private dollars have to come into this. The good news is, in Chippewa, that community rallies around these types of things. We'll have to see uh, how they do that. And uh, Is a pool necessary for a community? Nothing is necessary for a community, but I do think that's something that Chippewa should have. Chippewa, you know, has all these parks and whatnot, like any community, but boy, that's a that's a toy. And Chippewa doesn't have a lot of toys, comparatively speaking. Doesn't have a lot of toys. I think that'd be a toy to to see if they can keep. Uh, then you got this story. This story out of Menominee. Good job by uh, WQOW was the one that reported this. We'll see if the leader telegram picks up on it in Friday's paper. We'll see if EAU covers it. Uh, it's over in Menominee, though. Menominee has tended to get sort of forgotten 
in local media now. Menominee is a news desert. It is a news desert. I don't think they've got any reporters that are actually there in Menominee for anything right now. I think the Dunn County News is done out of Chippewa, if I'm not mistaken. But either way, it's, a, it's kind of a news desert. That's why we exist. <laughs> uh, so Lucas Chase... He is a city councilor in Menominee. I'll be honest, I didn't know he was a a councilor in Menominee. But he's also the executive director of the Mabel Tainter. Took that over, I want to say, late summer of 2020. Uh, Lucas Chase, a city councilor in Menominee and the executive director of the Mabel Tainter. Well, a couple of days ago, was pulled over on suspicion of OWI. And he has since been cited for OWI. But it's not just tabloidy because he got pulled over for OWI, which is bad enough in itself. But, you know, it's not just because of his stature, but also because he played the, when he got pulled over, the do you know who I am card. So when he got pulled over, where the story becomes kind of salacious, not just the standard got pulled over, where it gets kind of salacious is he played the do you know who I am card. He is accused of intimidating the officers with sort of threats of, hey, I'm a counselor, I can get you fired, threatened them over their jobs, kept telling them they knew people. He called during the traffic stop, Menominee Mayor Randy Kanak called the mayor, asked the mayor for help in the situation threatened to have the cops get fired. Now, the mayor has quickly come back out and said he didn't know the situation when Lucas called him. And the mayor has quickly sort of separated from Lucas Chase, saying, hey, I, you know, I'm not, you know, he called me, I answered the phone, he, you know, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I'm not getting any cops fired. You know, I stepped aside there. So the, the Randy Kanak aspect of it, he himself, it's just a name that's being used right now. He's not right now involved. Though if this really got deep into the weeds uh, legally, I don't think there's any recording of the conversation, but you'd like to know exactly what they talked about. But Randy's not part of this. The thing is, Lucas Chase, city councilman Menominee, cited for OWI, pulled over and eventually cited for OWI, and played a very do-you-know-who-I-am card. Now, we must stress, his lawyer has reminded everybody, and rightfully so, that this is just an allegation right now. We don't know for a fact that he broke any laws. Don't know for a fact that he broke any laws. He'll have his day in court in September. All we have, though, is what's in front of us. The story, we have his mugshot, which we look at, his mugshot looks like a guy who's rattled and unkempt. Definitely does not help the matter, but who does look good in their mugshot? Is that due to OWI or was he stressed out about something? The one piece of damning evidence is that he is accused of blowing a .162. Blew a .162, a .162, which is twice the legal limit. So that's not just a a glass of wine at dinner. He blew a .162, which is twice the legal limit. 
So what are we, what are we, what, what do we do with this? So you see it, and a lot of people then quickly go on QOW's Facebook page, and you know, you're, you're getting your pound of flesh and all that. What do we do with this, though, this information? Okay, he is a prominent public figure. I've had a couple of interactions with him. He's a nice enough guy. He was on uh, the Downtown Menominee podcast. In fact, uh, chatted with him a few months ago about possibly doing a podcast with us. It didn't come to, to fruition in his role as the executive director of the Mabel Tainer. Seemed like a nice enough guy. What do we do with this information? And of course, now there's some people that are going to say, hey, soon as you drink and you drive, throw the book at them. And I definitely understand that side of the people. I definitely understand that. And there's other people that are going to say, hey, it's a witch hunt. All right. Let's take a step back, take emotion out of it. Here's what I think. One, I think you get one strike as a council person or an elected official or somebody that's on a board like the Children's Museum board or any board like that. I think you get one strike when you serve on one of these leadership councils, whether it's elected or you've been invited onto a council, even if it's the, the, the local youth hockey board. Everyone is owed mistakes. We all make them. We all make mistakes. But in those positions, it's one and done in my book. It's one and done when you make a mistake like this, where you break a law, or you're accused of breaking a law. You put yourself in a position that you're accused of breaking a law. Now, if you cheat on a spouse or other moral things that aren't necessarily on the up and up, those are debatable. All right, those are debatable. Hey, should somebody lose their seat on a city council because they cheated on their wife or cheated on their husband? Maybe not. Now, if they cheated on their wife or husband with a prostitute and broke a law, that's a whole other thing. Breaking the law, that is a clear strike right down the middle. That's strike one, two, and three right away. That's the way I look at it. Being on a board, being a council person or any elected official, those are privileges. That's a privileged spot for you to be on, and you are to represent the best of all of us. You're a city council person, and you're breaking a law like that. And we all know, if you get pulled over, DWI, OWI, it's probably not the first time you've ever driven with a little too much alcohol in your system. It's probably not. You got pulled over. All right. Now, do I think employers like the Mabel Tainer need to look at the... And here's the thing. That's, that's Lucas Chase's position as a city councilor. As far as his position with the Mabel Tainer, I think that's different. I think employers like the Mabel Tainer need to look at the whole body of work and make a determination. If you look at it and you go... You know, hey, you know, he's well liked by the staff and the people in the community and all this, that. Hey, we'll stand behind him and you find other ways to to punish because it is an embarrassment to the organization. That is true. It's always going to be there on a Google search. If you look at the whole body of work and you say, hey, this is just another strike. You know, an individual business can make its own decisions on those things. I think back to a story about 10 years ago when I lived in Iowa. 
and Des Moines, Iowa is three hours away from Kansas City. So a lot of people from Des Moines make their way down to Kansas City to watch Kansas City Royals games. And there was this story this one time that came out. This woman got drunk and she was running through the fountains in the outfield at Kansas City's ballpark, Kauffman Stadium. And it was a viral thing and all of that. She got drunk and was running around the fountains in the outfield, fully clothed and all that, but you can't do that, got arrested. And uh, her place of employment, which was a bank in Des Moines, fired her, fired her two days later, fired her two days later. Even though nobody really knew where she worked, but the place of employment fired her. And I remember telling people at the time, like, seems kind of harsh. And if they only fired her because of that, that's kind of rude. But if this was a track record and the, she didn't have great numbers and people in the office didn't really like her and this just, this just kind of played into the old untrustworthiness, then fine. So again, with Lucas Chase, I think with the city council, that's one strike. You should be done. You should be done. With the Mabel Tainer, I think that's something that's more internally what they'd have to do. Again, I go back to what the lawyer said. This is just an allegation. However, I think we all know this. A lot of times when it's a DWI or OWI, the person may get off, but a lot of times it's on a technicality. It's on a technicality. It's hard to bounce back from this too. I'm going to tell you this. The allegation, you know, it's... It's hard to bounce back from this. And there's, you know, the reality is if he gets off, it's more so on a technicality or they probably won't even prosecute because it is the first time. He's got a clean record and all that. And all likelihood, he'll get off, suspension of something here and there, slap on the wrist, what have you. And, you know, you try to rattle the cage. Therein, the punishment comes from the outside. The way I look at it, he should resign from the council immediately. Now, he can come back and argue and say, you know, I'm not even guilty yet and, and this, that. I don't understand. But you still put yourself in that position. And we all know that, again, if you get off, it's a close bang-bang play. I think, you, I think you resign. You resign from the council. I think that shows more leadership than trying to stick around. And I said the same thing, remember, when Phil Lyons had the same thing and he never left the Eau Claire School Board and is still there. I think you get accused of something like this, you know, something like this, you know, OWI, DWI. You know, this isn't being accused of another crime that you got to kind of let play out a little bit more. If you, if you catch my drift there. You know, this, this almost always is bad. I think you, you, at the very least, you say, hey, can I uh, figure out a way? Can you step aside while this whole thing is being ironed out? But I think when it comes to the council, that's a privilege. It's not a right of yours. Now, as far as the Mabel Tainer goes, with him being the executive director, I think that is for them to decide. If he's got a good track record and good job performance and all those types of things, then 
hey, you, know, you do you are owed mistakes. You are owed mistakes. You take care of that internally in any which way, from a tongue lashing in front of the board <laughs> to you know a very stark warning, whatever. Uh, perhaps even a brief suspension from the job. Whatever they want to do, you handle that internally. But from a city council perspective, I think he should resign. I think that'd be the best way to handle that. And you're going to sit there and say, well, what, if, what happens if he's, he's entirely cleared of the whole thing? He's entirely cleared. And this is what I come back to. It's not even a matter of, of guilt. It's not even a matter of guilt. He was in the position. He clearly was driving somewhat impaired whether legally or illegally over a limit or whatever he clearly drew the attention of the officers and then not only that the way he acted let's not lose sight of that he didn't just get pulled over but he was he was mouthy egotistical he did not act like a city leader well he acted like a city leader would that you would he he acted like a, a, a like a cartoonish city leader you know who I am, sort of thing. You know? So I think that's, that's, I don't think he should be forever tarnished by something like this, by no means. But I think you show more strength, more morality, you are a better community person, I think, if you do resign. You say, hey, I'm going to own this. I'm going to resign for the better of the community. Hey, I, could, I can stick around and all this. And frankly, in six months, a lot of you will forget this. But I think it's better, you know, a true leader, this should not happen I don't want to see this type of thing happen in my community. Nobody should act this way. I will fall on the sword. And on this positive note, though, with our program, uh, they got robots rolling around the UWEC campus. Saw a couple stories about this earlier this week and a big article today in the Leader Telegram. Uh, they got robots, uh, these food delivery robots, going around the UWEC campus, which... Uh, they're going, they're going to deliver hot and cold meals and snacks and drinks to the college kids. Hey, I love it. Hey, cool idea. I find it funny. They, the only thing they were concerned about, would, would the robots be able to handle the infamous hill on campus, lower campus, to upper campus, and I guess they ran tests. Uh, they did dry runs, and the robots had no trouble whatsoever. I know I have trouble. <laughs> but the, uh, the robots will be, I guess, fully operational here in the next week or so. Right now, they're zip-zagging around the, the campus. Uh, they're setting the maps. Kind of cool. Seen that in other markets. Other, I think uh, UW-Madison had that a couple years ago. A lot of schools sped up the process because of COVID, but this has been something that a lot of schools, a lot of big campuses, not just inst not just academic institutions, but big work campuses were looking at even before the pandemic. So you order something and autonomous vehicle brings it to you. Kind of cool. 
I think that's going to be something that's going to, uh, we'll see if that increases the amount that students order and whatnot. Seems kind of cool to have stuff delivered. We all know about staffing shortages, so that helps out with staffing. No longer do you have to have somebody deliver. Probably delivery wasn't even an option many times before this. And it is another added value to the university. They don't know how much it's going to cost yet. That's the only thing that's kind of weird, that they're, they're all in on this program, but they don't know what the cost is yet. There is something that I kind of like about that. It's maybe not the best fiscal decision, and it's not the best decision with your mind, but they made a decision with the heart. <laughs> like It's something that looks cool. It's something that makes a lot of sense, even if it... But maybe if you got too deep into the weeds financially, you would have taught yourself out of it. Of course, if they go through this first year and the thing is just a you know a money drain, well, it's not going to be worth it. But I think it's one of those things that you got to do to see and kind of tie it all back in with the Bernard Willis pool. Some things that don't make fiscal sense can still make an awful lot of life sense. But you only know once you've done it. We'll be back with you Tuesday, another edition of Talk of the Town at that point. On behalf of everyone who made this podcast possible, I'm Scott Monasano saying there's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Make sure to take advantage of it. And until next time, so long, everybody. The end of a life is a sad occasion, but listen as our friend Randy with Stokes, Proc, and Munt and the Cremation Society tells us about how the end-of-life services they facilitate serve a role they do not take lightly. But as we celebrate a person's life and even tell funny stories about them, that's a very healing thing. I mean, if you can take a family that's crying, sobbing, and and get them laughing about the person that died. That's very healing. That's a very important thing, you know. I mean, we take our work very, very seriously. Randy and the folks at Stokes, Proc, and Munt, along with the Cremation Society, are available to answer any of your questions, including pre-planning your arrangements. Check them out online and on social media.